have the opportunity to be able to go boldly into God's presence. I love that we can just talk to God and pour our hearts out to the Almighty. I love listening to people pray. I love starting off a message. Having the opportunity to be able to talk to God and ask us like we do every single week, God, would you talk to us back? Would you clear away the fog that we've developed over this last week or two weeks or four weeks? You know, the culture's kind of muddled some of my perception. God, would, would you be able to help me see clearer? I need some recalibration. This week's been filled with fireworks, I'm sure, or celebrations or picnics. And yet, no matter what your week's been like, we have an opportunity here to come and to refocus and to sing praises. You know, I don't know if you haven't noticed, but normally this whole singing in a congregation happens, well, only here. There are a few other places, I get it, and in a certain football game, in a certain fight song, or a certain, you know, victory at a ball game, you might be singing some songs. But hopefully you're not worshiping at that time, you know. Here, we have an opportunity to meet, to put all the clutter aside, and and just kind of bask into what God is doing We're in a really important section, a a section, honestly, that this week that I have just kind of enjoyed. It's not like I don't enjoy most scripture, but, but this John 15 passage and trying to put in perspective of how Jesus in his last hours are talking to some guys that he just spent the last three years with. He doesn't have this written down, although John did for us. They're not going to be able to look back at some notes. He's just pouring out his heart. And that's where we're at. He's saying, basically, if he was a coach, huddle up, guys. Huddle up. Listen to me. I I am literally, I'm hours away from beatings and mockings and eventual death on the cross. The night's been confusing for most of those disciples. I mean, Jesus washing the feet, that didn't make any sense to them. And then on top of it, not only do they have clean feet, but then he says, I want you to go and do the same thing. Oh, Now, Jesus has been modeling this for three years, living self-sacrificing. But all of a sudden, it's making sense. You mean, Jesus, I'm supposed to go and wash people's feet. You must have stuttered. No. Jesus knew of their confusion and asked them to trust him. Trust me today. Trust me tomorrow. Trust me for your future. I am worthy 
to be trusted. I have never let you down. I have never, ever left you. I'm here, and I'm actually going to be here. Then Jesus makes this audacious promise, a promise way good to be true. If you or anyone else continue to trust me, you will do the same works, even greater works than I've done when I leave. Whoa. He's saying you're going to minister and preach like I have ministered and preached, and your impact is even going to be greater than my impact. Folks, I can hardly get my arms around that. In some ways, <laughs> I, uh, I see him talking to the 12. You guys know who they were. Misfits? Unreliable? Jesus is leaving and he's handed over to 12 guys, or 11 guys at this moment, and 11 people added one later. They changed a world. A world. Say, well, there's a lot less people back then. I know. But if I'm honest, there's more people around back then than there are in Fox Lake or Ingleside or Spring Grove. And I saw him share words to ignite and empower and make a difference. These are the words we're looking at. And then just a little bit later, he starts ranting on love. Love me. If you love me, you're going to obey me. I am your Savior, I am your Lord. Please listen to me. And I shared with you in some weeks past that this was actually a simple covenant. They knew about covenants very well, but it's, it's a relationship and then a responsibility. You love me, and then the responsibility is to obey me or submit to me. Obedience always flows from a relationship, never precedes it. Then Jesus gives two illustrations of what a relationship with him looks like. Last week we looked at a vine dresser, a vine in branches. And basically his message was this. You guys all know about the vineyard. You know about vines. You know about grapes. Stay connected and bear much fruit. I want you to experience joy. I want you to have fulfillment the only way you're going to do that is if you stay connected to the vine. This week, we focus on friendship. Friends stay connected. Wow, Jesus literally changes the metaphor. I'm going to ask Gary to be able to read from us from John 15 verses 12 through 27. So let's listen in on Christ's conversation with his disciples as Gary reads for us. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow him on the screen. Okay, Gary. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. 
There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures. They hated me without cause. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you just for the words that you have preserved for us. For us to be able to look into your last conversation with these guys that you did life with for three years. Lord, in many ways we see how unprepared they were. And yet, Lord, we are so much like them. So we know your words not only encourage them, but they will encourage us today. Would you help us hear your voice? Would we respond quickly? And would your name be lifted up and glorified wherever we go? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Jesus uses the friend word. Now, I'm sure the disciples didn't take notes, but I'm really sure that the Holy Spirit helped the apostle John uh, remember well Christ's words. He called them friends. Think. God called these guys friends. I think it was a big deal to be called a friend of God. They were Jewish boys, so they understood a lot of the Jewish history, but there are really only two other people called friends of God in the whole Old Testament, and that was Abraham, and that was Moses. And so all of a sudden, their ears took in a word that it was uncommon. Now, to some of us, if we even put in our culture we probably have to redefine, uh, redefine a little bit the word friend. If you're in third grade or fourth grade and someone walks up to you and says, well, you can be my friend if you give me your Fritos. 
Well, you know, we kind of grow up with these different ideas of what friendship is. Sometimes we get to be friends if we think we can get something from it. But Jesus kind of raised the bar on this whole friendship thing. Let's try and understand what Jesus is doing and what he meant by calling the disciples friends. First of all, in this text, we find out that Christ's friends are chosen, obedient, and loving. I'm going to read again, starting at verse 12. This is my command. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. The disciples heard this chosen word, that he chose them. So wonderful, yet so odd in the first century. If you recall, that rabbis normally didn't do the choosing. Normally in that first century, if you wanted to come underneath a rabbi's tutorage, you would go to the rabbi and ask if you could be part of his system. A rabbi would never go to you. He would never recruit. He would wait. But Jesus kind of turned a lot of things upside down. And he went and he chose them, not only to be disciples, but trying to help them understand that he chose them for a mission. But it is a privilege, an unbelievable privilege. And I don't think Jesus was trying to toot his own horn here. But I think what Jesus was trying to say is, I don't think you take advantage sometimes of this being chosen. Let me explain. The essence of sin is rebellion against God's law, which technically has horrific ramifications. The greatest ramification is the lack of intimacy with God. How sad to be chosen, yet live estranged. How sad to be part of the fellowship, and yet not connected. And that's where Jesus began to harp on this almost. You need to stay connected. Obedience follows a relationship, yet obedience is critical in every relationship. We never obey in order to have a relationship. So disciples were chosen. They also, I, I mean, Jesus' friends were chosen, but Jesus' friends were also obedient. Obedient enables fellowship and gives us power and authority for our mission. You see, obedience, again, is not the means of salvation but is the inevitable result. It is the proof that a person has a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Obedience allows the Holy Spirit to do His work in you and through you. 
If you've been with us the last few weeks, we've talked a whole lot of staying connected and the benefits of staying connected to the vine and the importance for all of us to be able to listen to God every day, every moment. Because when we disobey, we do life by ourselves, we do not submit to His authority, well, we fall out of fellowship. We don't get any of the benefits of that relationship. The Holy Spirit still is at work convicting and encouraging you to listen. But if you are separated at that moment, your relationship is off, that you don't get any of those benefits. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a gift. The Holy Spirit actually even didn't even indwell all believers until Pentecost. In the Older Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon certain people for certain times for certain tasks. But one of the great benefits everyone here sitting in these chairs today has over those before the cross is that once you come into a relationship with Christ, once you trust Him as your Savior, immediately the Holy Spirit takes residence in you. How cool. How awesome. Because the Holy Spirit reveals God to us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. The Holy Spirit clarifies truth. He helps us understand divine truth. He interprets for us what the scriptures are saying. He is so critical. And all Jesus is saying right here is, so listen to my life-giving words. Submit to them. And you will experience abundant living. The Holy Spirit will be active in your life and you'll be responsive to the Spirit. You will bear much fruit. You will be able to go through situations and trials and scenarios that you never thought was possible because you know God is with you. Jesus then went on and said, I've given you an assignment. So join me in this mission submitting to my words. Well, it will help you in your assignment. And what he clarifies again and says again, and and again, let me just remind you, every time the Scripture says something, it's important. If the Scriptures say it twice, it's really important. If the Scriptures say it nine times, oh, it is so important. And Jesus keeps repeating this. He says, my friends will be loving. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Now this is the second time in this upper room discourse that Jesus said to love others. And although you probably don't need to be reminded about this, I'm going to remind you that loving others always begins with loving God. In Matthew 22, so many of you remember when Jesus was kind of cornered and he was asked, hey, what's the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus replied immediately, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. 
The second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So the Jews, ever since they had the law all the way through, knew that the important thing to do in life was to love God with all of your heart and then love others with all your heart. But the command loving each other seems to be gaining momentum if you're following along. And it also seems to be gathering volume, almost like a snowball, if you can imagine that. Let me illustrate the progression. The law and Jesus over and over again was very clear. Love God and love your neighbor. So we get that, and we understand that that's how we're wired. And if we listen to God, we develop that relationship with God, we will be able to love others. And then he said in John 13, I give you a new commandment. Okay, what's that? Well, love others like I have loved them. Which, how I love others is the way that you're supposed to love. Then what Jesus does is pick up that towel. So everyone knew before coming in the upper room that loving your neighbor was pretty important after loving God. But then Jesus seemed to raise the bar a little bit. Okay, well, let me just show you what that looks like. It means just serving people. People, well, that are hard to serve at times. People who don't deserve it. You see, serving others always will be uncomfortable. Serving others will also be inconvenient. Serving others will also be demeaning. And Jesus, the King of Kings, modeled for each one of us what that serving looks like. So the bar seemed to have been raised. But in our text, the latest, love each other the way I have loved you. Well, it almost sounds the same until he clarifies what it looks like. He says this, the greatest love is laying down your life for your friends. Laying down your life for your friends. Jesus is about to leave. And he's tossing this out to his disciples. It seems to me that the bar is raised even higher. Jesus laid down his life for his disciples the last three years, but died for his friends at the very end. You see, Jesus lived others-focused, but ultimately gave up his life to restore mankind's broken relationship with the Heavenly Father. Jesus is both the agent and the means of reconciliation to the Father, of reconnecting us back to God. This is so cool, and I'm not sure if you got this, or if you're going to get this, but Jesus is passing that baton. You all understand that term. In a relay race, although there might be four very, very fast people, a race or a relay is often won, and whether you can pass the baton well. And Jesus is doing this. 
In a few hours, literally, he is going to die. So he says this, the greatest act of love we can show others is to be agents of reconciliation, to help others back to the Father, to point people to the Father initially and continually. Let me put it a different way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17, the Apostle Paul, way after this time, was writing a letter to a bunch of believers at the church at Corinth. And he said something really unbelievable. And if you mark Bibles, I encourage you to mark your Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. And Paul writes this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That means, hey, when you come to faith, you are a brand new creation. This old life is gone. A new life has begun. All of this is a gift or comes by grace from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. Christ was the agent and Christ was the means. Now listen to the next few words that Paul pens. As God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Christ reconciled people to his father. Now the difference was, yes, he was the means. We aren't the means. But we have this privilege. And then he continues to write, for God was in... For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, believers, this wonderful message of reconciliation. In other words, you can be reconnected with God. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Christ is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I don't know if you understand this. I am actually not even trying to guilt you. I am just trying to let you know what the facts are. That you and I are ambassadors. We are Christ's spokesmen right here. Right here. And he's handed the baton to us. And we have the privilege to be able to share with people who our Father is. And how important a relationship with him is. So the disciples were to live like Jesus. And love others the way Jesus loved others. But what we forget is there's a disconnect sometimes. So are we. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2, Paul writes this to a different church. Live a life filled with love. Okay, that sounds right where Jesus was going. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice to us, a pleasing aroma. You know, we always have gaps in ministry here. We're always recruiting different people for different ministries. But I want you to know one thing is that we do not want to fill holes in ministry here. We don't. That's not how our leadership operates. 
What we want to do is be so connected with God and so listening to God is when opportunities come where we might be agents of reconciliation. You might be an agent of reconciliation in the pre-K to K right now downstairs. As you help these little people understand who God is and what Jesus did and how gracious our God is. And so all of the ministry that happens here, well, it's an assignment given by God that we might be agents, that we might be ambassadors. I have no problem recruiting people because it's my opportunity and privilege to recruit people. There's nothing greater. You're the ones who have to figure out, is this what God wants me to do? I never am discouraged by a no. I got to tell you, I just keep going. Because I am so convinced that God has the right people here. Now, granted, maybe some aren't listening. Is God's ministry going to suffer? I don't think so. I don't. Because it's his ministry. But I think we're going to be the ones who lose out. We are the ones who are going to, well, not enjoy some of the abundant life that God has given each one of us. Jesus tenderly yet passionately points his friends down what I'm going to call the dying for your friends pathway. You you want to know what dying for your friends pathway looks like? You want to be agents of reconciliation? This is what I think Jesus said. And I'm going to read verses 16 and 27 if you have your Bibles once again. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. Verse 27. And you must also testify about me. Jesus is talking. Because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. I have appointed you to go. Now in this word, and again, it's, it's, I'm not trying to make this complicated, but Jesus appointed them for service. Say, well, Rick, I'm not a disciple. I die. No, 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 no. We're not going to get out of this one this easy. Okay? Jesus appointed them for service. He is leaving so that he's leaving those guys to be ambassadors. The word translated appointed here has the connotation of being set apart or ordained for special service. It's an an amazing assignment. God is saying this, I have a special niche for you to fill. And I want you to fill it. Point people to me, Jesus said. You have been with me since the beginning. You saw me heal the lame. You saw me touch the eyes of the blind. You saw me give life to people. You saw transformation happen. Guys, you don't get it. But you have the best training in the world. You're my ambassador now. I have chosen you. You go out. 
Having chosen and trained the disciples, Jesus appointed them to go into the world, proclaim the good news about him, and make disciples. We talk a lot about Matthew, 8, uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. When Jesus is about ready just to literally send his disciples out, he says, therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey. Whoa. Our assignment Go make disciples. Teach them to obey. Why is Jesus ranting and raving in the last few moments he has on this earth? Love me and obey. Love me and obey. Obey without it is a disconnect. We don't get the benefits, and that's what Jesus is trying to do. He said, I appointed you to produce lasting fruit. Lasting fruit. We chatted through that, especially last week. But everybody produces fruit. Do you know that? Do you know every one of us produce fruit? But the really wonderful thing is, Christians have a chance to produce lasting fruit. Fruit that will last, that will be around for eternity. Oh, this is so cool. Are you getting goosebumps yet? You must be getting goosebumps. I know you're getting goosebumps. But love for people and and conversion of sinners is what lasting fruit is all about. It's spending time with people, serving them, loving them. No one's ever going to listen to you about your relationship with God unless you love them. I guarantee it. They just won't. But we get to point people to Jesus. Jesus himself said this, the harvest is ready. There are so many people ready to respond to me. You know why? Because they're living life on this planet. They're starting to go into dead end after dead end after dead end. Yes, there's great thrill and joy for a moment, but it doesn't last. And the ramifications and the relationships that are busted... How ugly we have hope. Jesus himself, if you've been with us in the whole study of John, said, I have the words of life. I am the bread of life. I'm, I'm the guy that's going to quench your thirst. Nobody else can quench your thirst like this. I'm the light. I am the one who's going to show you the way. It's so cool. I am amazing, Jesus says. Would you stay connected with me? And not only that, ah, you will be able to make an eternal impact. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is amazing. And then he said, I appointed you to pray with authority. Now, in all this, and I suppose we could have stayed between 12 and 16 and maybe jumped to 26 and 27, but Jesus kind of just was working through, I guess, important things, and, and he said this. Between verses 18 and 25, Christ's friends also need to be warned. 
The world is going to hate you because you're my friends. You know, one of the most important things that you can do for any disciple of Jesus is set them up well. It's called inoculate them. Most of you understand what an inoculation is. I mean, who would have thought you stick measles germs in your body so that you don't get measles? Seriously? Who came up with that one? You know? Like, I would not have been the first guy. Oh, I'm going to give you this. Okay, you won't have a problem. You'll never get it. Are you kidding me? That's what we need to do with our kids. That's what we need to do with our disciples. Hey, do you know how hard it is out there when you're going to be light and everything else is dark? You know how hard it is going to love people that aren't going to love you back? You know how hard it is when people, you share good news about Jesus and they laugh at you? Do you understand what that means? That's why community's here, folks. I'm telling you. Being part of small groups or being part of a community together because life is so hard. You know what that's what a family is? Every single day around that supper table, Rick, we never eat together. That's not my problem, that's your problem. I'm serious. <laughs> because when's the one time you get to hang out with everyone, check in with everyone, see how their day went and see how the battle went? Oh, whoa. How you doing? My daughter had an opportunity to... <laughs> You guys know uh, I, I have a son and a daughter, and they both have three kids. But Kara is up at Silver Birch this week counseling. And I'm, I'm telling you, man, I would do anything to get my kids underneath Kara. She is an amazing disciple maker. And she's got some girls that she's hung out with for a long time. And she knows, as I text her, Kara, I'm praying. I know these days are long. I know what you're tired. I know you'd rather be with your three kids and husband right now. Pour into them, honey. It's eternal. It's going to make a difference. You need people around you. Life is hard. The enemy is ruthless. You guys think church is 10 o'clock. <laughs> it's pretty cool at 10 o'clock on a Sunday. That's not church. It just isn't. Community gathers. It prays sometime. We're going to meet this Tuesday as a community and pray. And pray and seek God's face. I'd love to see every one of you there. I would. We pray for people hurting. We pray for ministries that are going on. We pray for kids who have already gone to camp and kids who are going to come. We pray for the youth ministries. You know why? Because we need God to be part of this. But some of you, again, you know, I'm kind of busy on Tuesday. I get it. Some of you have to work. I do. but there's no greater place than to spend time in community if God's people serving, praying, talking, encouraging, 
You know, when Jesus talks about the world, he refers, at least in this context, to the evil fallen world system comprised of unregenerate people and controlled by Satan. All evil. It's that way. Say, well, Rick, I have no problem. I know what is evil and what isn't. Well, the culture is pretty sneaky sometimes. Jesus really is saying this, because you're a friend of mine, you cannot be a friend of the world. Our kingdoms clash. Now, there are some Christians who are a little bit arrogant and puff out their chests and make sure everybody knows how righteous you are. I think Christians need to forget about showing people how righteous they are and begin showing people how much they love their Lord and submit to their Lord and that He's the King of their life and that you wouldn't want to live any other way with any other king. Then Jesus says this specifically, you know, I was hated, you're going to be hated. I suffered, you're going to suffer. I was persecuted, you'll be persecuted. There was a lack of response to me, and I am the Son of God. I did miracles that you couldn't even believe. That didn't matter for some. But this is all going to happen to you guys. Whoa. To you guys, because you're part of my team. You are not part of their team. If you're part of the world's team or our culture, then you know, they'd embrace you. No problems. No problems at all. He says, I've called you out of their kingdom to my kingdom. Now what I'd like to do is actually get real with you. My study schedule this week was a little different than it normally is, and I spent most of my mornings just kind of looking at this scripture this week. And, and normally I have certain days that I do that or, or whatever, but this week was a little different. And so I, I was just listening to God and saying, you know, God, we've been in John for a really long time. You're saying some really, really important things. But i got to be honest, is anybody different? Has your, has your word made any difference at all? Do these folks just come every single week? Leave exactly the same way? Are they responding at all to your spirit? Do, do you see the Father different at all after spending time in John? Does God look different at all to you? Have you picked up the towel? Rick, it's a great illustration. I'd really like one of those for my kitchen. But have you? That's all. What difference is the Holy Spirit making in your life? Are we listening at all to the Spirit? Or we just say, oh, okay, I guess he'll talk sometime to me. What about fruit? 
lasting fruit. Has being chosen made any difference? What about suffering? Do you live exactly the same way as your neighbors? As much in their bank accounts as yours? Are you choosing kingdom over culture? Or culture over kingdom? Are you ministering? Or, or do you just come out? Or maybe in some of you, you know what, summers, I'm off. You know, I'm not here, honestly, to beat anybody up. But I am here to ask you hard questions. Because you're never going to regret listening to God, serving God with all of your heart, and investing in the future. You know what you're going to regret? Focusing on yourself. Spending your time, your energy, and your strength on your stuff. Has your relationship deepened? Are you more connected to the vine? You know, Christ's words are redundant. Honestly, I read through this and said, Jesus just said this two verses before. Jesus, are you losing your marbles? And you know, I got to believe he's not. I got to believe he had one last chance. Basics are basics. Love God and love others. You know, I had a friend who was a head baseball coach at Cornerstone University in Michigan. And like every good coaches, they always give you things to wear, whether you want to or not. Actually, I like this shirt a lot. But you know what I really like about this shirt is the back. And many of you are into baseball and you get it, but you're into sports or whatever. But this is what he drilled in his kids over and over and over and over and over and over again. You better keep your mitt on the ground. If you're going to go for a grounder, do not put it down later. And you can go through every basic thing there is. And all he did was change a program around that said this. If we do the simple better, if we are basics and we understand the basics, we know how to run, we know how to bunt, we know how to steal, we know how to play ball, we're going to win. Now Jesus wasn't a baseball coach, but I got to believe that's what he's saying. Do simple better. Love God and love others. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, your timing is always perfect. You chose those guys for a reason. They didn't seem like rock stars to us.
But those guys are the ones who changed the world. We got a whole lot more people here than 12. And yet our world seems so hard to reach. Lord, you've given us opportunity to be agents, to be ambassadors, to lay our lives down, to invest in eternity. We ask you, Jesus, more than anything that you would do that. We are grateful for the privileges. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that is so very active. Thank you for your word, which instructs and teaches. Give us courage to go and make disciples. Help us teach them to obey. And God, would you just fill this place? We love you. In your name, amen.